Welcome to Saucy Shorts, brought to you by Copycat Creative. This is Roses by Catherine Case, read by Felicity Holbrook. Do you think I'm making a mistake? The net curtains of the bathroom dance suddenly. A gust of fresh Sussex air whistles through the small bathroom, fanning Shaney's veil biliously around her head giving her a vaguely angelic air. She sits down on the loo seat. A bubble of mascara threatening to spill down her flawlessly made-up cheek. Wrapped in a cheap silky kimono, she looks utterly tragic. B because I think I might be. Her voice cracks and she covers her face with her hands. I fold my arms across my chest and lean back against the locked door. My watch ticks bossily, reminding me that I have about ten minutes to wrap this up and get her into that dress. We simply do not have time for this shit. Oh, Shay. I move round her to get to the window. I slam it shut, which abruptly settles both veil and net curtains. I gingerly wrap an arm around her shaking shoulders. What are you on about? Havarashali, please. Let's put that dress on. Clock's ticking. She suddenly swivels round so that she's nose to nose with me. Makeup now inkily streaked across her face. Christ, I mutter, snatching at the loo roll holder and tearing off some paper. Your face! Hold still. I'm serious! She swats my hand away and jumps to her feet, squealing. I can't do it! She grips the basin to steady herself and tries to gain some control over her sobs, taking great gulps of air. I start to rub her satiny back, my hands passing over the embroidered bride stitching gold thread across her shoulder blades. Oh, darling! Where's all of this coming from? A rap at the door that can only be Abigail's, followed by a militant, Everything all right in there, girls? We ought to get that dress on, don't you think? My heart starts pumping a bit faster. I feel like a fox being closed in on by salivating beagles. Why would you be making a mistake? I ask, with as much urgency as I dare. She sniffles. I need to show you something. Shaney releases the sink and flips the lock on the bathroom door. She barges out, nearly knocking her bemused mother for six. The immaculately preserved Mrs. Silver springs aside just in time, her extravagant navy hatinator quivering excitedly as she does so. Floorboards creaking in protest. I pursue the bride down the hallway of her parents' mock Tudor house into her childhood bedroom. I know this room. The moment I step over the threshold, it hits me with the musty memories of childhood sleepovers and teenage crushes, of hopeless giggling and lost secrets. The Spice Girls grin manically down at me from a peeling poster. A bookcase boasts an incongruous mix of Beatrix Potter and Jilly Cooper. Shaney bends, rummaging through a bedside drawer, eventually lighting upon what she's looking for. She brandishes a flimsy slip of paper at me. Read it! 
she commands. I smooth out the crumpled bit of paper. She drops heavily onto the single bed that we used to share as children, all squidged together like sausages in a pack. It's a receipt. Of course it is. At the top, it bears an elaborate logo belonging to one of the posher Hampstead florists, the kind that will sell you four peonies and a sprig of eucalyptus for £65 without so much as blushing. It declares two bouquets of blush pink roses, purchased on the 14th of February, racking up a bill of £140. I look back at Shaney, puckering my brow carefully in confusion. I don't get it. He bought me flowers on Valentine's Day. Pink roses. That big, beautiful bunch I sent you a picture of, remember? I nod. Well, she stands up, her tears drying now, despair giving way to delayed fury. I wasn't the only one he bought flowers for that day, was I? I checked with his mum, his sister, and guess what? No flowers from Nathan. So... She bunches her shoulders in a mock shrug before bolting her hands to her hips. Her hysteria cobbled about her, dried into hard, angry knots. So who's he buying flowers for, Beth? Where did you find this? I try. In the bin in our bedroom. You've been going through the bins. Well, it's a bloody good job I did. Her face has swollen slightly with the indignity of it all. Shay, nobody goes through the bins without good reason. You must have suspected before. She softens to sheepish disgruntlement. He started taking his phone into the bathroom a lot. I... Her hands drop to her side, defeated. I just had to know. Abigail appears in the doorway, furious, and framed by three anxious bridesmaids, each with a head of crunchy, overstyled ringlets. I'm sporting something similar myself. Girls, what's going on? Abigail puts her hands on her hips, a perfect imitation of her daughter. She sweeps into the room and looks from me to Shaney and back again. Beth, what's happening? Shaney's mother is twitching with irritation. It is her third daughter's wedding day. She has waited 12 years to get them all married off to nice Jewish boys from families she could stand to socialise with three times a year. Shaney and Nathan have been engaged three times and the world has yet to see it bloom into an actual wedding day. But today... Today we are so close... The off-white, high-necked gown with the cathedral train is hanging, steamed and resplendent, from her mother's antique wardrobe. Her husband is sitting patiently in the Audi that's been polished to a high shine in front of the house. Her youngest granddaughter has been grumpily bribed into her adorable little white flower girl dress with matching headband. The flowers are beginning to wilt in the August heat. We are closing in on the 30-minute mark. Mrs. Abigail Silver is not to be fucked with today. Before I can respond, however, Shaney cuts in briskly. Nothing, Mum. We'll be there in a minute. K 
Can you text Ben and ask him if the boys' buttonholes have arrived? Abigail takes one more glance at us, then reluctantly retreats, shooing the other bridesmaids before her. Once they're gone, Shaney starts to pace around the room, raking long, manicured nails through her mane of dyed black hair. Her cheap satin robe billows slightly behind her. What do I do? I can't marry him knowing this. I thought I could, but then I just looked at that dress and I just couldn't. No, no, of course. I get it, I offer lamely, concentrating on the intricate, swirling motif of the rug I'm standing on. Does he know you know? I confronted him. He said they were for some girl who was leaving at work. Some receptionist? But why would he have had to spend so much? And, her eyes glitter with bitter triumph, and I checked with David from his office, and they got the last receptionist who left gift vouchers, so... So... Her face crumples. So who is he buying flowers for, Beth? She bursts into shrieky sobs, pacing theatrically as she does so. Her veil has become dislodged. It now sits at a comical skew to one side of her head. Look, Shay. I draw a bit closer and carefully encircle her in my arms. I think this might be stress. You've been strung out the last few months and Nathan, he... He... I falter slightly. He adores you. He'd never do this. If he says they were for work... I think you have to believe him. You love him, don't you? Though I hate myself for it, I take her face in my hands and thumb away the tears as she nods. She looks like a sad, melting clown. Then please don't cry. You've got yourself all worked up over nothing. I hug her, taking her weight as she leans into me. I'm so much shorter that it's akin to a mole emotionally supporting a giraffe. We stay like this for several seconds. Really? She asks, eventually. Do you really think it's nothing? I really do, I say, pulling away from her, holding her at arm's length. She sniffles and there is a long moment during which she stares past my left shoulder, contemplating her choices. A bundle of angry makeup artists comes thundering into the room. Jesus, she mutters, taking in Shaney's ruined face. If we're going to fix that, you need to come and sit down now. The thought of looking anything but perfect in her wedding photos seems to rally the bride, who visibly shakes herself, and smiles weakly at me. Okay, she declares decisively. Okay. Then to the makeup artist, yep, I'm coming. We follow the livid woman's retreating back along the hallway, back to the master bedroom where the other bridesmaids hover, thirsty for drama. What's up? A redhead named Anne, or Amy? Chirps. Nothing, I say brightly. Crisis averted. I don't know how one applies eyeliner furiously, 
but the makeup artist appeared to be managing it. In my fist, I screw up the receipt into a tiny ball and pocket it. Taking advantage of the fifteen or so minutes needed to repair the damage, I slip out the front door, gathering up the too long hem of my chiffon dress as I go. I reach the back garden and pull out my phone amidst some wisteria that smells so gorgeous I want to cry. I have four missed calls from him. He picks up on the first ring. Beth, where are you? You fucking moron! What? Why am I... Those roses! Those roses you sent me last Valentine's Day! I've just defused DEFCON 1 because of those roses! She found the receipt! Oh dear. Yes! Oh fucking dear! Well, is she still coming? He asks, with a shocking lack of enthusiasm. How can you ask it like that? Yes, she's still coming. No bloody thanks to you. There's a pause. I'm so angry. Do you have a plan for how to deal with this tomorrow? When the wedding's over and she wants the truth from you? Tell her the truth? You can't tell her the fucking truth! Why not? I love you. I told you that. Many times. There is nothing to his voice, just a bold whisper. I choose my next words as carefully as I can. Okay, Nate. Okay. Let's talk about how that might go, shall we? You tell your wife of 24 hours that you're in love with her best friend. You're not best friends. You've not been close for years. You know as well as I do she only asked you to be bridesmaid because her other friends are terrible. I can't actually argue with this one. I'm not sure it'd stand up in court, I reply, taking a seat on a dinky little ornamental bench. He laughs at me willingly, desperate for us to be friends. I sigh deeply. I want a cigarette. Actually, I want eight. True. The ragtag gang of girls that Shaney had scraped together to pose as bridesmaids did seem fairly terrible. Most of them seemed to barely know her. Shaney, with her long legs and predilection for dressing like a Love Island contestant, always had boyfriends, but rarely attracted new girlfriends, though she claimed helplessness. Girls are just threatened by me, you know. I knew better. Shaney simply didn't waste her charm on women. She regarded her fellow females as something she'd never have use for. The latest wave of feminism and the swelling sisterhood that came with it had passed her by like an overseas political coup, distant, and nothing to do with her. Before Nathan, she lived in a perpetual cycle of either hibernating with or breaking up with boyfriends. During the brief spells in which she found herself single, she waged a relentless, fleshy campaign for a new candidate. Who had time for girlfriends when there were potential husbands to audition? When I thought about it, I really was the only proper girlfriend she had. A thought which made me feel even more wretched. Nath, I don't love you. I hate to repeat myself, but it was a mistake. One I will regret for the rest of my life. One night that could ruin everything for both of 
Two nights, he corrects me tartly. Two nights. June, remember? I start to protest, but stop, remembering the night in question. There had been a further mistake after that fateful night in January. Warwick. Esther's wedding. Shaney cried off early, claiming a headache, leaving Nathan and I to drink, talk, and eventually tumble into my single travel lodge bed together. He dressed and left in the small hours, creeping up the two floors to his room, slipping into bed beside Shaney while she slept. You two stayed out late. What time did the band stop playing? Shaney had asked brightly at breakfast the next day. I couldn't answer her. I felt like pond scum. The worst of the worst. I just pushed rubbery scrambled eggs around my plate, pretending to be more hungover than I was. The most ridiculous thing about it all was this. I truly didn't love Nathan. I don't remember exactly when I graduated from half-decent friend to psychotic fiancé-shagging bitch, but I knew I could not blame it on an ongoing infatuation with this rather ordinary man. I didn't pine for him. I didn't want him to leave Shaney. I didn't even particularly enjoy his company. He was humourless and banal. One of the dullest people I knew. He was exactly the same as every other boy I grew up with. Predominantly concerned with the size of his house and the model of his car. Excited by the exotic. Bored by anything remotely cultural. This fling with me was almost certainly the most interesting thing about him. I find myself thinking unkindly. So why? Why had I done it? It was a question I could not, no matter how hard I'd searched, find an answer for. Okay, two nights. What's the difference at this point? Beth, you don't even like Shaney anymore. That's not true. You just want it to be. And as I think I said at the time, I don't want flowers from you. I don't want late night texts. I don't want to be friends. I don't want you. Every time you say that, you mean it less. I feel like that's the moral logic employed by rapists, Nath. That's mean. Well, I'm feeling mean. She doesn't deserve you, you know. Yeah, well, neither do you, mate. There is a pause whilst we both appreciate the madness of this exchange. Shay was so many things. Self-centred, brattish, vain, dramatic. But she didn't deserve this. Christ, nobody did. I'm hanging up. Shay must be nearly ready. Nathan? Yeah? This is the very last time we're going to talk about this. If you do this again, I'll tell her. You think I care? Yes. I think about it carefully. Underneath all this, I think you do, really. I press my thumb to the glass of my phone to end the call. I exhale, feeling a tiny bit lighter. I make my way back towards the front door, only to be greeted by the bridal party, missing one bridesmaid, emerging from the house. 
the slightest crunch of gravel beneath their feet. Shaney is now repaired. In fact, she's utterly serene, flawless, bearing no visible trace of this morning's hysterics. She makes her way across the gravel to the waiting Audi. Shaney's father, bursting out of his best suit and pink-cheeked with joy, hops out of the driver's seat and bustles round the vehicle to assist his daughter. I step forward to unhook her billowing veil, which is caught on one of the exquisite bead buttons that snake their way down the curve of her back. Where were you? She hisses at me. We were waiting. Nowhere. Smoking. I specifically said not to smoke in that dress, Beth. I know, but I use body spray. I'm fine, see? Sniff. I lean forward so that she might inspect me for freshness. Stop that. Just get in the car. Aren't bridesmaids going in the second? You're coming with me, remember? She blinks at me irritably. I nod and climb in next to her. I travel to the synagogue squished between Shaney and her mother, who repeatedly reaches across me to fuss with Shaney's veil. For the life of me, I cannot understand why you had to have this enormous thing. It's so cumbersome. Bethy, can you breathe in? Your left arm is squashing the bouquet. I breathe in. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Mr. and Mrs. Silver. Cheers, whoops. The crowd go nuts as the newly married couple stride happily across the dance floor. Shaney loops her arms around Nathan's neck as the expensive band swings into John Legend's All of Me. She beams into his face as they sway, resting her head on his shoulder. He closes his eyes as if he cannot imagine being happier. They're both exceptional actors, I have to give them that. I sit quietly at my table, an untouched flute of champagne fizzing gently at my elbow. It's been there since the speeches. An uneven platter of bad jokes, forced laughter, and a particularly sappy, almost depressingly earnest tribute from Shaney's father. At one point, Abigail grasped her husband's forearm, indicating that he ought to sit down. Now. I'd raised my glass merrily along with everyone else, but thought better of sipping it. Not until I work out what I'm going to do. One of Shaney's aunties, whom I vaguely know, joins me, sitting herself down on a plush velvet hotel chair and nudging me in the ribs. She follows my gaze, which rests on the swaying newlyweds. Ah, Bubbler, it'll be you next, don't you worry. She beams at me as though she's given me a gift. I reward her with a trickle of dry laughter. Oh, I don't think so, Christy. Need to find a man first. Shh, pretty girl like you. They should be lining up. I smile politely and raise my eyebrows in a, well, what can you do, expression. This seems to appease her, and I'm left in peace to watch Shaney and her new husband waltz one another around the dance floor. Their friends and family now piling in, eager to dance after six hours of day drinking. I lean back in my chair, 
feeling a wave of queasiness approaching. I place my hands gently on my stomach and try to breathe through it. This short story was brought to you by Copycat Creative and read by Felicity Holbrook. To receive a Saucy Shorts email to your inbox every Friday, please subscribe via the link found on the Saucy Shorts podcast homepage. Saucy Shorts, just a little bit of what you fancy.